says on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us what a great statement of faith do you love to worship the Lord I mean, he has created us for this he has created us for this. that's why you exist that's why I exist well all right uh, today we continue in the series spiritual intelligence and we come to a group of passages second uh, Corinthians chapter 5 1 through 10 and Paul begins talking about this issue of the issue of death or the issue of what happens when you die and listen I know uh, this is kind of an uncomfortable topic to talk about I mean I know that nobody probably got up this morning and says boy I hope we're talking about death in church today and so you know I doubt You've ever called someone up, some friends or whatever, and said, hey, why don't you guys come over to the house and, you know, we'll, we'll have dinner and then we'll, we'll sit around and we'll, we'll talk about death and we'll just talk about what happens when we die afterwards. And so, um, it, psychologists tell us this. The most difficult place that you'll ever see yourself being is in a casket. So it's just kind of something that we just kind of put out of our minds because for whatever reason, uh, we have emotions about that whole deal fact is in Hebrews 2:15. here's what the scripture says the scripture says this those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death if you're not careful this issue of the fear of death it will hold you in bondage in your life it will hold you in slavery slavery in your life to where you go through life in fear of what's to come and I, I think there's several reasons for that. Uh, and today, Paul goes through in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 10, and he begins helping the believers there. This isn't the first time he taught on this subject. And he begins helping the believers to understand what happens because it's important that we're able to have confidence in that. It helps me if I have a medical procedure, if I have surgery, for a doctor to sit down with me and to begin sketch out kind of, hey, this is what's going to happen and this is a recovery and this is what you can expect and all of those other things because it can bring comfort in information or knowledge. And so Paul gives that information or that knowledge to this group of believers as well as us. And so here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 10. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me. If not, this, the words will come up on the screen. But here's what Paul writes. He says, for we know, so this isn't the first time he's taught on this. He taught on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, the Bible is very, very clear what happens at death. So he says, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to, to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. What a statement of confidence. God has prepared us for this. Who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. In other words, he doesn't, God doesn't want there to be any questions whether you're going to heaven or not. He wants to, to give you the Spirit of guarantee so you understand that. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. 
And we'd rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim, we make it our goal just to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your love and Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, and I pray that as we walk through this message, Father, that you'd just bring us encouragement and confidence and, and, uh, and hope. Father, you'd bring us a greater understanding of what your word teaches. Father, I know there's all kinds of thoughts and there's all kinds of theology about this issue. But Father, I just ask for the next 30 minutes that we would be able to put away human tradition, church tradition, false beliefs, or anything like that. Father, we'd be able to just approach your word for what it is. Father, that we would allow your word to speak directly to our hearts and minds. And Father, I, I just ask that you just help me to communicate this in such a way that brings you honor, brings you glory, but that brings freedom to your children whom you love, whom you want all of us to understand this so we don't live in slavery and bondage because of our fear of death, but we can live life in great freedom and in great confidence because of what you have prepared us for. So Lord, with all humility, I ask that you just speak to us now directly from your word to our hearts and to our minds in Christ Jesus. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we walk through this issue of the issue of what happens when we die, the one of the things that sometimes gives people stress and gives people pressure is this, is that, you know what? This is something that technology cannot take away. This is something that possessions cannot take away. This is something that, that, that education, in some respects, success, any of those things, popularity, this is something, this issue of what happens when we die, the fear, the slavery, all that goes along with it, cannot be taken care of by a high-tech society in which we live. And so Paul began to compare our life as a, a tent to a building uh, from God. And watch this, verse Verse 1, and listen, this is the crucial verse of these 10 verses, and we're going to understand all 10, even some of those that kind of make us just kind of uh, push back, if you will. And so verse 1, here's what Paul says. He says, for we know, I've already taught you this. I don't know why you still have questions. Maybe they needed more encouragement, but it was almost like, for we know, I've taught this. Uh, the whole of 1 Corinthians 15, I, I've, I've explained this to you, but you know this, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, in other words, that means to, to tear down. Listen, Paul, in case you don't know, was a tent maker by trade. Paul made tents by day. That's how he funded his missions. That's how he funded the ministry. That's how he was able to, to support himself in ministry. He wasn't supported from a local church. So Paul was a tent maker. So Paul understood the issues of a tent. Paul understood all about tents, and he begins to compare our body, the tent, 
to a home eternal made from God. So this was very personal from Paul. So he says it's torn down or is destroyed that we have, that's important, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I'm not a very big fan of camping out. I mean, I don't like it. I mean, now I'm not talking about you RVers that, you know, have these RVs and stuff. That's not camping. I mean, in my, I mean, to where there are RVs that are more expensive than my home. I mean, they got jacuzzis, they got showers, they got satellite TVs, they got wood floors, they got towel floors, they got all this stuff. So, so I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the type of camping out that is sleeping on the ground, camping out, the dust, the dirt, the stuff, and all that goes with it. There's only a couple of times our family has camped out in, in Colorado. Colorado. The first was when we were just here and, you know, you're a Texan in here and that's dangerous to go camping out without some supervision. And so, so we had some friends that moved also out of state. They were part of our church, uh, Jason and Bridget Braun. And so they're now doing ministry in another state at another church, but they were here and they knew to Colorado and said, hey, let's go camping out. So he said, fine, we'll go camping out. So it was their job to research where we would go. And so they got on the internet and they found a place in Monument Hill. I didn't know if you... Did you know you can camp out in Monument Hill? I mean, and so I'm gonna, I got one thing to say about their website. They lied. They, I mean, I mean, they looked at the website. We made the decision. We go. We got up there. And listen, the, the, our campsite overlooked I-25. We could hear the road noise. I mean, it was really set up for RVers, you know, and, and, and trailers and all this other stuff. So they took the, twent, the tent dwellers like us and they put us, you know, in the low rent district. And they put us at the very back of the whole deal. And so we're overlooking I-25. We can hear the road noise. And then the other thing that made it difficult, it didn't seem like a big deal until about 8 o'clock that night. We were 100 yards away from a train tracks. And so it was really no big deal till about eight o'clock, and then they started sending trains by every thirty minutes. And so we're near we're near uh, a uh, a crossing deal, and so you know every thirty minutes here is the the dinging of the arms coming down, the train coming, the horns you know going off and everything. It was so loud around the campfire when we were playing you know campfire games. I guess uh, we had to quit talking. We absolutely could not even hear one another talk. I mean, it was absolutely, it was miserable. I mean, that night the wind picked up every 30 minutes, a train going. I didn't sleep at all. And so at times, because of the wind, I had to go up and reset the tent poles and stakes and restake it down. And Jason was having trouble with his tent. I mean, we didn't sleep at all. The next morning I got up and I said, you know what? I don't care who goes with me. If you're going with me, load up. I, this is it. This is like miserable. There was only one other time that we camped in the Raywall National Forest and we were up there and I learned that whole food in the campsite deal is a real deal for bears. And so, uh, <laughs> try to make yourself look as large as possible. Don't look them in the eye and all this other stuff. <laughs> Here's a couple of things about camping, okay? Just for me, that Paul understood. A tent is temporary. A tent. This is what Paul's trying to say. Hey, a tent... It's temporary. It's not very safe for bears, <laughs> intruders. It's not very secure. It's, uh, it doesn't last. I, I mean, it's temporary. In other words, if you've camped out when high winds or a storm came, you know. 
It just wasn't very secure. And what, top, what Paul was trying to say is, is that this issue, let me help you with this issue of life. This tent, this earthly tent that we have is temporary. And so he's saying this. He says, life is uncertain. It can be torn down in seconds. I mean, it took longer for me to set up the tent than it did for me to pull up the tent stakes and roll it up and stuff it in the car and leave. So, so he's trying to communicate to them that life is temporary. This tent is temporary. And you know what we do? You know why we have so many problems? We try to make what is temporary secure. That's why we struggle in life. Paul said it. Paul said this life temporary. Your, your problems are momentary. This whole life is temporary, and so you know what? We say, you know what? That can't be. I'll make this tent secure. I'll do it with my possessions. I'll do it with money. I'll do it with popularity. I'll do it with investments, 401ks, retirement, insurance. Now listen, all of those things aren't bad in of themselves as long as they're kept in the right perspective. But that's when, if that's where you get your hope from, if that's where you get your security from, you're in trouble. And you're totally in trouble because Paul's trying to get them to understand some of your stress is this. You're trying to make what God said is temporary. You're trying to make it secure. Here's the other thing about camping out that I've learned. It's just uncomfortable. I mean, why is it? I mean, now I haven't, I'm not an expert, only two times. I'm going to tell you the, the, the two times that I've gone camp, camping. There, why is it that over, under my sleeping bag there is always a rock? You know, in the most awkward position that it could be placed. It's a rock, a root, or whatever, but it's like, and why is it that the longer you sleep on the ground, the harder the ground gets? I mean, you ever notice that? And, and uh, why is it tents always end up smelling like dirty socks? I will never understand that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, that odor, just that stuff. And it's just uncomfortable. And listen, when I'm in my sleeping bag, when I'm in a tent, you know what happens to me? I start longing for home. I start thinking about my bed and what an idiot I am. Start thinking about a thermostat so you can just kind of adjust and doors that actually lock and can keep bears out. And, and, and the security and the warmth and the comfort and the refrigerator and the the shower and everything, clean sheets, everything that comes with that. And so that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying not only is it temporary, but the longer that the believer is on this earth, on this world, it becomes more and more uncomfortable. When he says, and we groan, that's not discouragement. That's not depression. That's not dejection. That's not any of that. That word groan means this, longing for more, longing for security. The older you get, the more it's just in your face. This world is temporary. This world is going by. This earthly tent that I thought in my 20s that I'd live forever and bulletproof, all of that stuff was a false belief. I never thought I'd get to this day. I never thought that I would see it as being temporary. And so Paul is saying spiritually as we go through this world that we're coming more and more uncomfortable. Watch this. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, hopeful longing, hopeful longing for something of security, hopeful longing for eternal life, hopeful longing for all of that other stuff, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be father clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by this life. And so there's just a few questions that we got to answer this morning in our time together. 
What happens when we die? Scripture's really clear. What is up with eternal life? What is that is about? How would we exist? And then this issue of being confident in our salvation because just as a pastor and just from talking with people, the reason death is they're, they're in slavery to death because they're not confident in their salvation. There's questions. There's questions of what will happen. There's a huge issue. So the first one is this, is, is, is what happens, just what happens when we die. So let's just walk through the process. And this is where it may challenge some of your traditions that you've been taught. It may challenge, challenge some church history. It may challenge some false beliefs. But, but I, just, I just have this belief that we can just preach God's word and stand on it and let the chips fall where they may. That's where peace comes from. That's where comfort comes from. So the first thing is this, that happens, that there is a departure of the spirit from the body. Scripture is really clear about that. There's, 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 uh, in fact, is Paul talked about that issue, that there's a, this spirit that departs from the body. There's this, this is immediate departure from the spirit. It's like, it's like the glove. And when the hand is removed out of the glove, the glove is still there. You still see the gloving. Oh, guess what? You still see the, the form of the hand that was what once was there. But what gave the glove substance is now gone. And scripture says at death, there's an immediate release of the spirit of the body from the body. Here's the interesting thing. Check it out for yourself. Whenever Paul talked about death, he talked about life. See, Paul didn't see death being a big deal. See, whenever Paul talked about death, he immediately talked about life because Paul's the one that said death was the last enemy of, of, of God. And Jesus Christ is the one that defeated death. So what gave Paul great comfort and courage in his life is whenever he spoke of death, he always spoke of, of life. So watch this. There's departure of the spirit from the body and then there's immediate, here we go, immediate presence with God. Immediate presence with God. Verse 8. Yes, we are a good courage. Now, how can you say that? You're talking about death. We're good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul wrote, Paul wrote in Philippians 1, 1 and 23, he says, Man, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That's just gain. Chapter 12 will learn that Paul was lifted up into heaven, saw things that nobody else has seen, saw things that he's not permitted to say. I mean, this guy, if anybody knew what heaven was like, it was Paul. That's how come Paul says, hey, to me to live is Christ, but guess what? To die? It's gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. If I live in the flesh, I live to please him. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. 
My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better for me. And listen, Paul had to change his theology, his church history. See, Paul came from, a, from, 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 from Jewish, uh, he, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews and from Jewish teachings. And, and in his day, guess what? They taught there was an intermediate step, step to heaven. In other words, there was a place that, uh, of purification. Now, some are taught in this day that there's that same intermediate step. It would be called purgatory, right? Purgatory is just the, the purging of your sins, hence where we get the word purgatory. Purgatory is not a place when you read the doctrine, when you understand it. It's not a place that is taught. It's kind of a spiritual state of mind to where you reflect on this life and you're purged of your sins. And guess what? When you read the doctrine of purgatory, which you can't find that word anywhere in Scripture, you find that it is taught not everybody goes to purgatory. Do you realize that? There's two groups of people that don't go to purgatory. The first group is a group of people that suffered on this earth. In other words, they were purged on this earth, whether they had cancer, they had an illness, they had poverty, they had heartache, they had great pain. Then they would teach that there was a purging that happened on this earth. Another group of people, it's a smaller group, and it would be a group of people that were so godly, they didn't need that intermediate step. But for the average working person kind of say, the person that is not good enough for heaven, but not bad enough for hell, they go to purgatory. And it's that intermediate step, who knows how long you're there, but it's that intermediate step to where you're purged of your sins. But can I just tell you this, what scripture says? If you are in Christ, you're under the blood, and you don't take any of those sins with you, you're totally and completely forgiven. He has washed your sins away. You don't need to be purged of anything. Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross that you couldn't pay, that I couldn't pay. Scripture is clear. When you die departure of the spirit from the body immediate presence with god for the believer and guess what when you are in christ you are totally and completely forgiven Amen. this is how paul could say be of good courage this is how paul could say to live is is christ but to die is gain no matter what i win no matter if i stay on this earth in the earthly tent or if i go on and be with him i win because i'm in christ verse one again for we know that if this tent is our earthly home is destroyed we have circle that we have present tense that's huge not later we almost exist in two worlds if you will same way with me when I was camping. I was in an earthly tent, unfortunately. But I still had a home in Pueblo. You understand? We have, there, that, that's just huge for understanding. We have what? We have a building from God, not as, that is temporary, that is eternal, that lives on. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, if the tent is our earthly body, then the, then, then the building from God is spiritual body. Jesus, Luke 23, 46, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit.
Stephen, the first deacon, first martyred for his faith, had a vision of heaven shortly before he died. Luke chapter 6 or 7 and, and uh, 7, 56. And this is what he says. He said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of, the God, of God. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he died as a pastor. I could stand up here and give you one testimony after another of deathbed experiences that I have been around with believers as they took their last breath. And I have walked away so encouraged because of what they saw, because of what they said. And I know some people will try to discount those testimonies. Eh, it's just remembering kind of Sunday school stories or what they were taught or what they were write, read in the Bible. But one of the first persons that we ever led to the Lord here at Fellowship of the Rockies was a female. And she's 46 years old, and I'll never forget her. After she accepted Christ, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, said six months to live, stage four. And... Uh, I spent the last day of her life here, some of it with her. No spiritual background. Never read a Bible. We bought her her first Bible. Never been in a church. This was the only church she'd ever gone to. And she started telling me of things that she was seeing. And I'd simply go over, open up the Bible, and start reading to her because she says, Is that in the Bible? And I go, Yeah, it's in the Bible. And I'm telling you, the reason we don't have many, as many deathbed experiences today as we once did, because it's the issue of drugs. And I mean, we, we, we use so much morphine to dull the pain, but we also rob sometimes family members of deathbed experiences with their loved ones. Lazarus, when he died, Luke chapter 6, teaching of Jesus. If, if you're not so secure with the Apostle Paul, let's just talk about Jesus. Luke chapter 16, when Lazarus died, the angels went and got his spirit. Took his spirit directly to Abraham's bosom, which is the picture of heaven. The next thing that will follow is a glorified body. Scripture is clear. We're not going to be some disembodied spirit floating around, landing on clouds, getting wings, and all this other stuff. If indeed, by verse 3, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. In other words, not to be found naked means to be clothed in a glorified body. That's what Paul's saying. For while we were still in this tent, we groaned, being burdened. Not, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I mean, Paul is clear. Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this future life isn't some disembodied life, disembodied spirits just floating around. 
I mean, he understood that the future for us is, is one with a body. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Here's what Paul said. He said, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In other words, there are going to be some people when Christ comes back, they'll never have death in their life. But we shall all be changed in a moment by the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Okay? Now here's the one, the process that may give us a lot of just pushback. So walk with me, hear me, understand this because I believe verse 10 is a verse that has been improperly interpreted by the church many times to try to use guilt to get right action. Okay? The next thing is, is there'll be judgment. Now, Scripture is clear that there's a judgment process, non-Christian. Christian, we need to look at both real quickly. Verse 10, let's just read it, and let me walk through it with you. For me, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema seat. That's huge. Uh, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now listen. The judgment... For the non-Christian, the one that was without Christ, the ones whose sins have not been paid for, that aren't under the blood of Jesus Christ, they will be judged for their sin. Here's what Scripture says. They're going to have to stand on their own. They're going to have to give an account on their own. Because they never came to Christ. The believer will not be judged for their sins. Christ has already paid for them on the cross. You don't carry your... Listen, I was raised in a legalistic church that I still, when the pastor, I mean, he freaked out me and a bunch of junior high boys when, when he came into to our youth group meeting and he told us that he says, and he used that verse. I just never will forget it like it was just yesterday. And he used that verse and says, young man, the day is going to come when in heaven there is a huge movie projector People have come up, they heard the same thing. And he says, when you go to heaven, verse 10, judgment seat of Christ, you're going to be sitting there with Jesus, and he's going to put up on the big screen, and they're going to play out every bad thing you've ever done. Some of you, you know, yeah, some of you know. And then he followed it up with, boys, do you want to burn in hell or go to heaven? Now, what kind of question is that? Even junior high boys can make the right decision on that one. Let me tell you something. Your sin has been washed away. Yeah. It's all been washed away. It's under the blood of Christ. Christ paid the price. There's no video, there's no DVD. There's none of that. See, our judgment is for rewards. Hang with me. The non-believer, yeah, they're going to have to give an account. The Christian, how'd you live this life after you met him? See, let's just take me. I'm not going to be judged for my sin. It's under Christ, perfect, totally complete, 
uh, forgiven, completely forgiven in him. One of the things I will be judged for or looked at is my preaching. What were my motives? Was it all about me? Was it an ego trip? Did I distort the word of God? Did I try to be politically correct and worry about who I was going to upset and who I wasn't? Did I, just, did, I just, did I just teach the pure word of God without any ego, without any of those other things? If the answer is yes, I get a reward. Look, well, look, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 and 15, it speaks of this. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Not only me, but you. If the work that, that, that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Okay? If... Anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. In other words, he won't get the reward. If, but though himself will be saved, but only as through fire. In other words, this, that if the answer comes down and says, says you don't get the reward, you still have eternity in heaven. See, the Bema seat was huge in their day because it went back to the Olympics. The Olympics were, were, were run completely different than our day. After each event in our Olympics, we, we give the bronze, the gold, the silver, right? I mean, as soon as they finish a race, as soon as they finish uh, whatever the, the Olympic event is, they determine the winner. Not so in their days. They ran the whole event. And then all those that competed went to the Bema seat. And there was a judge... And the judge began to hand out rewards in front of everybody. That's why Paul says, we make it our aim to please him, verse 9. See, we've just made it okay in Christianity today. You don't have to live your life for him. You don't have to serve him. You don't have to have a ministry. You don't have to share your resources and give of your money. You don't have to do any of that. And we're in a day of easy believism. And that's why so many people carry fear about the issue of death. Because they're wondering, is there anything different about my life? Do I walk my life in purity? Do, do, I, do I try to live my life differently? See, and then he would go on and say there's, there's this perfect existence in eternity. And that we have perfect existence in eternity. And, and so we've just got to understand eternal life and, and what that means and what that looks like. Now, there's not a lot of things that describe what heaven is like. I'm going to tell you, what is clear in Scripture is how to get there. we got the most important thing we need. Now, Paul saw some things that he's not permitted to tell. But there's some words that I can think of that describe what heaven looks like. And the first thing is this, forever. It's eternity. Temporary, tent, this world, eternity, building from God, not made by human hands. So one thing you can say describes heaven is this issue of forever, this issue of eternity. The second thing is this, perfect perfection. There will be no more tears, there will be no more crying. Fact is, it says, God is the one that will wipe your tears away. God is the one that will touch your cheek. He's the one that will wipe your tears away. There'll be, it'll be no more sickness, no more hurt. 
normal pain. It'll be perfect in relationships, and we'll look at that. In fact, take relationships. You'll know a deeper level of relationships because the thing that hurts us now is the issue of sin, right? That are barriers in relationships. Attitudes, actions, words, anger, all that other, gone. It'll be perfection in relationships. It'll be a, a reuniting of those that have gone on before you that are in Christ I think of heaven this may sound weird to you every time when 5 and 30 news does the whole deal they cover the soldiers coming back from Iraq I think of heaven fact is one time I just want to go and just be a part of that whole process how they take family members and loved ones of the soldiers that are coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever they were and they're sitting in those stands and down deep, they're wondering, will I ever see my son ever again? Will I see my daughter? Will I see my grandson, granddaughter? Will I see my husband, my wife? Will I see my friend, my aunt, my uncle? And they're in those stands. And the band plays and the smoke machine takes off. And man, when those soldiers come through that and enter that room, it's electric. That place goes nuts. And then they stand them in attention because there's a proper way to dismiss. But there's always that young girl or that young boy that they don't care about protocol. They just want to see mom or dad. And they break through that line. The most electric place in heaven it's going to be when you're in those stands and your loved ones come through the gate and they're wondering if they'll ever see you again and you're wondering if you'll ever see them again. There's, there's this reuniting of relationships that is perfect and no more sin to be barriers in those relationships. There's praise. When we see Christ face to face, we will never worship the same again. We will never sing Amazing Grace like we once did. My chains are gone. And that's why I'm so proud of Chad and the way he's leading us in the area of worship. And, and I just got to tell you, I am so proud of you, how you're growing in your area of worship. I know, it's, I know it's pushing some of you out of a comfort zone, but we need that. Nobody's going to have to tell us in heaven how to respond in worship. It'll just come natural. So that whole deal. And the last thing is this. We have to be confident in our salvation. Our Hebrews 2.15 will bear out in your life. You'll live this life slavery to death. You'll live this life in bondage to death. The worst funerals I do as a pastor is to do a funeral when all the loved ones don't know where their loved one is. Not enough evidence in their life. Never really talked about spiritual stuff. And like wondering, where is dad? Where is mom? Where is grandpa? Where, where are they? 
And Paul talks in Scripture that we can be confident in our salvation. Verse 1, one last time. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, torn down, because it's temporary, we have a building from God. We have a place to go. We're not homeless. <laughs> we got a place to go. A house not made with human hands. Eternal in the heavens. Verse 5, he who's prepared us for this very thing is who? God. That's why we can be confident in this. That's why we can be, have courage in this. God's the one who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Ephesians 1.13, that says, it says, when you accept Christ, he gives the Holy Spirit as a deposit in your life, guaranteeing you eternal life. When we go on vacation, we make reservations at a hotel. We use a credit card. We make a deposit. We do whatever we have. The credit card serves as a deposit. If we don't show up, they charge us. We know we have a room because of the deposit. As a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit who indwells you, you know you have a room. Because of the deposit, what? That is guaranteeing you that room. And that's why Paul says, so we walk by Faith, not by sight. I can't prove heaven exists. I can't point to anything and say, this is heaven, this is where it's at. But we can be confident. Because of our relationship in Jesus Christ, because of our transformation, we don't have to know where it is. Because our belief is in him and we're confident because we walk by faith and not by sight. The critical thing for you this morning, and I know, I, I know this is a heavy message. I know I may have blown away a bunch of tradition and stuff. Now I know some of you may be like Apostle Paul and there's some things that you used to believe about death that you're just going to have to look at from the scriptures but the most important thing for you and I this morning is you have confidence in your salvation scripture says that God wants you to have confidence in your salvation because it changes the way you live life and that his spirit will bear witness with your spirit and I prayed for you all week. I prayed through this service. Because I want you to be able to have confidence in your salvation. 